0: Podcast, where we explore the intersection of professionalism, identity, black hair, and hair texture. I'm your host, Dr. Kanisha L. Rowe, and today I have a very special guest, Tiffany O'Bang. Tiffany is a lawyer and author of several educational and inspiring children picture books featuring black children and families in spaces where they have been historically absent in normal everyday situations. In this way, all children are normalized, humanized, and the world can be a safer place for them. Her books include popular kids' children career books like Andrew Learns About Lawyers and Andrew Learns About Engineers, season books, Spencer Knows Spring, and honesty books like Scout's Honor. To learn more about Tiffany and her books, you can visit her website, which is www.sugarcookiebooks.com. Excellent. So how are you? How are you doing?
1: Girl, I'm good. I just came back from uh Vegas with my husband. We were celebrating a 10-year wedding anniversary. So you had your birthday and I had my anniversary. So
0: oh nice. Congratulations. Hope you had a good time in Vegas. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's actually on my uh to-do list. Um, you you ever
1: been to Vegas?
0: No, I've been to Vegas, but um, <laughs> my to-do list is to see Usher in concert and yes. So one day soon. Right, girl, you only have to the end of the year. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. But he's going to come back. He's going to come back. So Uh, i
1: was just like, I'm going to reclaim my time. I'm going to do things that I would do if I didn't have any obligations to kids or work or husband. So I was living my life.
0: I love that. that. We need that. I did some of that as well. So we definitely need that. Um, Okay, so. Our conversation, really the way how we connected, oh. um, I feel like a lot of our areas overlap, may not necessarily be in the professional realm of us being in the same industry, but our passion certainly overlap. So I know that part of the themes in your um, publishing content and for the works that you've been working on is around advocacy um, and I shared earlier this is really the point of our intersection of our lives <laughs> of how we knew of each other is earlier this year, I shared a couple of resources about um resources for children books because I get that request as well a lot um is that folks want to know more books about like seeing yourself represented um on a children's level or on an adolescence level, and you've been able to do that for um black boys and black girls where hair and identity are the main focus among that is the the book that i i focused for you which was the black boy hair joy which is a rhyming book that teaches black boys about self-love so what inspired you to write black boy hair joy
1: So Black Boy Hair Joy was inspired by my son. Mm -hmm. It was over the summer of 2022, and he was going to a summer camp that he goes to every summer or would go to every summer. And so the camp is made up or comprised of predominantly uh, Black kids. But this girl had just made a joke or teased him about his hair, calling him curly head. And so one morning when my mom, she comes over to watch my daughter, Um, he was looking sad or just looking kind of despondent while he was eating. And my mom was like, what's wrong with you? And so he told us the story and I was like, well, I'm just gonna call somebody curly head, even though his hair is curly. (laughs) It was just like, you know, it was a kid tease. And so after that happened, I started thinking about the fact that there's not many books, hair love books for boys. Um, There are a lot of, of hair love books for girls and a lot more coming um, out for girls and the focus is on getting girls to love their hair and textures and, and learning and educating about hair, which is all great. But I think a blind spot um, where is black boys, like black boys have haircuts or hair woes, if you will. <laughs> so yeah, um, just trying to shine a light on the fact that boys, black boys deal with similar issues as black girls when it comes to their hair.
0: I think you are absolutely right in terms of, most of the attention is on black girls, black women, um, black adults. But there is certainly an aspect that we neglect to focus on. Um, And I think if you were to ask any Black man, there's been a moment in their lives where they've navigated, oh, I'm going to get braids or I'm going to grow my hair out. They've experimented with hair. And so when you're socializing a young boy, like those messages and representation is really important, as well as it's missing outside of the larger conversation. You don't see so much of the attention going towards that.
1: Exactly, and I remember an episode of Living Single <clears throat> where Cal, one of the main characters, he has—I
0: don't know what the hairstyle is, but it's not bald. He it's had not locks. It was locks. I think he had locks, or it could have been two strand twists. I don't know. I want to yes. go back and look that up. I thought it was locks because I remember that being one of my first representations of like, oh, a man with longer hair, and it's locks.
1: But it wasn't that long. Okay, so so I'm like, whatever <laughs> hairstyle he had wasn't typically seen on TV and he was on wall street or he did something that was very high profile and in a environment where your counterparts are not going to look like you in any type of way. And so for him to represent himself authentically, how he presents himself authentically was a big deal. I didn't notice that when I was watching it, but they even had an episode where they talked about his hair, where he was up for promotion Mm -hmm. and another black guy was like, oh, you're going to be passed over because of how you present yourself, because of how your hair is. The white people, like the, the bosses didn't say that. It was the black guy, his who mm-hmm. said that. And so, um, yeah, it was just a very important episode. And of course, when you're watching it, you're just kind of laughing or whatever. But that situation, that issue was so prominent, um, important. And yeah, so just continuing that story at a lower level of, like you said, black men are dealing with it, adults are dealing with it. But it starts from somewhere for him to have that confidence to even have that hairstyle in the first place in corporate America in the 90s was a triumph.
0: Yeah, I do remember that episode now that you mentioned it. And wasn't it interesting that they sent another black man to deliver that message? I find that like when I speak with other black women, um, that it's usually another black woman or someone with a marginalized identity that is sent to deliver the message on behalf of someone who does not approve of whatever those grooming standards were. I'm curious with your son though, was it um, the girl that was calling him curly head, did she share the same identities as him? Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, it was just a, I mean, I think it was harmless overall. Like he got over it and everything. But again, I had just heard stories in the past about black boys um, in high school, middle school, elementary being disciplined for their hairstyles, just like Black girls were being disciplined for their hairstyles. Um, And I'm just like, nobody talks about it, or at least don't talk about it enough. And so I just really wanted to amplify that conversation.
0: Right. And a lot of what we're hearing about a lot recently is um, discrimination cases, potential discrimination cases, um, like in your state in Texas. Um, I won't say the name of the school, if folks are interested in looking it up, they can find it. <laughs> but you can certainly find this young Black boy's presentation. He has locks there. I feel like they're budding there, so they're not super long, but they're enough for him to be suspended from school. And it's the same school that other men have been, not men, because they're boys, they're underage, <laughs> because that also happens a lot where we all, where we put adult characteristics on younger children. So these boys were also suspended. So there's a history there. Tell me more about your thoughts and what what are your thoughts about what's happening in your state?
1: (laughs) Oh, I was so happy that the person who covered that uh, incident that is ongoing, by the way, that covered that incident, covered it. And that has been picked up by so many outlets because it was even more of a, like, oh my gosh, really? Because of the Crown Act. So Texas did adopt the Crown Act. And we're like, what? Come on, Texas. Even though yeah. you're probably trying to distract us from other stuff, but okay, you join the Crown Act movement, go ahead. And then in light of that, we hear that this well, this black teen is being suspended simply because of his locks. And it's like, really? So he's been in school suspension since sometime in August. And now they're about to transfer him out to an alternative school. Yep. And it's because of his hair. Like, Really? Really? Because he will not conform. So it's very inciting. Um, it's terrible and it's terrifying too. Like we make so much progress, but then things like this happen. I don't know how he was as a student. And I'm not gonna even get into that because I feel like sometimes we want to find the perfect black representative to say, well, if he was a better student, then he wouldn't have focused on his hair. So I don't even want to get into like who he is as an individual, um, because I don't want to detract from the issue of He's literally being suspended <laughs> and sent to another school because of his presentation, his hair presentation. How is that affecting anything other than he's not conforming with whatever rule y'all have that is already discriminatory?
0: Go ahead. Yeah. So it's it's interesting because what you tend to find in those policies is that they have the policies because they don't want to distract others from learning. That's actually like in their handbooks. Hair that is not distracting. Hair has to be a specific color. It has to be clean and well-groomed. They even go as far to say that, you know, certain accessories are allowed and other types distract from the learning environment. So I think about when I was younger, I had beads in my hair, right? those are going to make a noise. Is that distracting in the learning environment? How is this boy's presentation of hair a distraction?
1: Exactly. Right. And the thing about grooming policies in um, in school context and in an employment context is that they're mostly subjective. So it's a way to control their um, exclusive, as in it's not inclusive of other people races, unless you're the quote unquote dominant race. So it's built on... The perceptions of what our counterparts look like or prefer and it's very subjective so when you say distracting what's distracting to me may not be distracting to someone else um when you say clean appearance what's clean to me may not be clean to someone else and so we just have a fundamental issue with grooming policies from the jump
0: yeah and I see that word distraction a lot um But I think what that really is cloaked in is uh, if someone has a curiosity, I've never seen what your hair can do before. Oh, and then that may lead into other questions, but I think it really probably just comes down to classroom management, right? And I don't think any individual wants to be the topic of conversation, particularly if it's about hair presentation. Well, I know that for (laughs) most Black people, we don't want to sit in a room and talk about what I have to do. to groom my hair that's that has nothing to do with the meeting agenda has nothing to do with the curriculum um so I think distraction is used in play of curiosities or you're breaking up the homogeneous population of the school
1: that's (laughs) that part
0: (laughs) yeah And what is such a technicality about the crown act? Like, yes, I was surprised when Texas adopted it. Um, And I don't know how this is going to play out either as they go for their defense. But, you know, the law was passed May 27th, which means that it doesn't go into effect immediately. Like when we desegregated schools, they were not desegregated overnight. It took several decades in some parts of the South for that to happen. So it was effective September 1st, and this incident happened with this boy before that. So point. is he truly protected by the Crown Act? I don't know.
1: He may not be legally protected, if you will. But the point still is we should even need a law to wear our hair, one, the way it grows out our head or the way we choose to wear it. So yeah. The fact that we even need, like, I appreciate the Crown Act, I appreciate what it's doing, so I'm not saying that it has no purpose, but the fact that we even need something like the Crown Act is a problem. So whether it was enacted or active at the time when he was suspended, I think is uh, kind of irrelevant (laughs) to the point that he was suspended over his hair in the first place.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And what also comes up for me is the way that K-12 systems can track individuals, particularly tracking black and brown boys into specific career types based on performance, based on exposure. And so there is certainly a hidden curriculum that's there. I mean, now he's no longer at that school that I'm sure he had very specific opportunities. Now he's at an alternative school. How does that impact his life and in the types of relationships that he forms and his self esteem, Like there are so many additional implications outside of, no, you can't go to school here. You're suspended.
1: Just the pipeline is the school to prison or elsewhere, right? Pipeline that, and it's all because his situation is all because as far as we know of his hair. So now I'm being denied education, um, future opportunities, <laughs> life choices, all because of my locks. And from the picture that they have in the um, news articles, his locks look like they were clean, like they were kept up. So it's it's very disheartening and it's very scary. And that's mainly reasons why One Black Boy Hair Joy exists and books that I create exist because it's about the normalizing piece, educating, inspiring and normalizing. So I want to normalize these images of black children and especially our black boys, because as you mentioned a second ago about how our kids are not allowed to be kids for that long. And I think we talked about this before about like, at what point are our kids, particularly our black boys seen as no longer children, but now seen as adults and threats to others. And so um, to treat this teen like he's a delinquent, based on his hair <laughs> and now affect the rest of his life, possibly, is uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. I don't know a fancy word for it. It's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. I think what you said is really important is that it is a threat, right? We're trying to, you're trying to, through your work, is to normalize these images, normalize longer hair for boys um, that can be normalized for men. And so even if you don't have that texture hair, you're normalizing that this is actually very typical. It's not that someone is making a choice to stand out or be a distraction,
1: Right, and it's normalizing amongst our black boys and like you said, like diverse readers. When they see these images of the boys with the fades, with the parts in their hair, with the locks, with the froze, whatever they choose to wear, because I have like 10 different haircuts and styles in there. They have, I have the Andrew, that's my son's name. I have the Andrew haircut with the curly top and low on the sides. And so when you see these, not only will the black boys be able to identify with the images, either with their own hairstyle, they have braids in their cornrows, but not only with their own hairstyle, but the hairstyle of their friends. And that's what I really enjoy because black boys who typically don't read will read that book between the ages of four and eight. They will read that book because it's like, oh, that person looks like me, especially when they get to my favorite illustration in the book, which is the boy with the locks. And it was very important for me to make sure that it said locks and that locks was spelled correctly because of the history mm-hmm. with that type of hairstyle. And um, we're still correcting people's knowledge of the hairstyle is called locks. It's not called dreadlocks for a number of reasons. So um, just making sure that I put the right phrasing on the hair hairstyle, especially that hairstyle, is very important to me. And um, the reception of the, that book and that particular page has been really um I don't know, heartwarming because they're like, oh my gosh, this boy has locks or whatever. And he's just a boy, he's skipping down the hall, <laughs> but he's just a boy skipping down the hall, minding his business. And the main character is like, look, you know, that's my friend. He, his hair, whatever it says at the point. But yeah, so it's like really cool to see. And I'm hoping that it can get in more and more hands so it can start having an impact and changing the conversations and changing the ideals of what our Black children and Black boys should look like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I have locks, obviously, uh, and that strikes a chord. How do you spell it in your book for our listeners who have not read your book? L-O-C-S. Okay. That's how I spell it too. But there's a lot of controversy over like, there's no difference between dreadlocks or locks, but I think it goes back to normalizing and not not spreading misinformation that you then have to unlearn. So you really do have to start from the beginning.
1: And you have to unlearn it because I know um, I had a, a friend slash co-worker who she deems herself an ally and she was trying to send me something, but she used the term dreadlocks. And I was like, oh, OK. And I just like, hey, FYI, the PC term is locks. But don't you fret because a lot of you know black people don't even know the correct <laughs> term for it or whatever. It's just like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Thank you so much. I'm like, no, it's good. So yeah. it's, it's an unlearning like I didn't realize the term was should not be dreadlocks until I was in law school, like the second year of law school. So I was an adult and this guy um, was like,
0: no, we don't call it dreadlocks. We call it locks. And we're like, oh, okay. So that was my education on it. Yeah. And same here. I think I had already chosen locks, but I I'd, I'd interchangeably used those terms, not mm-hmm. knowing like where it stemmed from. And mm-hmm. even if we cannot find this is to all my scholars, find the citation for it to state that. I think just knowing the correlation between something, you would never naturally call something dreadful for something that you find so much joy in that directly connects to your identity. So there is power in language and the words that we use, and they should be intentional. Okay, you go ahead, Dr. Rowe. <laughs> <laughs> that is my motto about, about a lot of different things is that language is so important. So talk to me a little bit about um, if there's anything on your personal journey that led you to embrace storytelling and this, the specific images that you've selected in your books. Because it's not just one book. You have a series of books that's focus on different topics that will help children um, understand their identities from multiple aspects?
1: Yes, so I have 20 titles and honestly when I first embarked on this author journey, I was not trying to be a you call it, social impact author of any sort. Some might consider me such now, and I embrace that. But when I started, I was just doing a bucket list item. I was just like, oh, this would be fun to have his legacy for me and my son or whatever. And so I came out with my first book, Andrew Learns About Actors, and that was that. Then I was like, okay, well, let me do my second book. And so I came out with the second book, Andrew Learns About Teachers. And it wasn't until that second book where I started actually paying attention to what was happening in the, or the current state of the um, kid kid literature. So I started seeing like these statistics and I guess I started like honing in on it, but I would see these statistics on my timeline about how black children's literature only accounts for this tiny, tiny percentage of literature. Like we don't have uh, black main characters. Um, I was thinking about when I was getting ready to produce Winnie Loves Winter, which is a book about winter, but it features a black girl character. um, How we don't have winter or seasonal books that feature black characters, not a lot of them, at least. Like you're going to have the animals and you might have the white people, but you're going to definitely have the animals. And so I'm like, you know what? The statistics are terrible <laughs> and I'm putting the two books that I've created on my son's bookshelf of books and realizing that our collection doesn't have um, a diverse diversity of characters in them. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna do something about this because I can do something about it. And so that's how I kind of shifted my focus to know all my books are going to provide images of black children and families doing everyday Things, learning everyday things, because we need these images out there. I need people to see that they belong in literature. I need them to see that they belong in um, workplaces, just anywhere you belong, you deserve, you're respected, um, you deserve respect, you are respected, you are loved, and I needed that to be um, a part of, I guess, my branding. So when I say I inspire and educate and normalize our children, yes, I want my books to reach all types of people. But I especially want the black readers, the black children to one, want to engage with literature because as we know, reading statistics among our black children, particularly our black boys is not that great. And so wanting to present something that will interest the black boys, hopefully keep them in school, um, increase their reading literacy um, and just give them something to be celebrated about. We don't think about it. I think it's more subconscious. So, for example, I'm gonna deviate for a second. But for example, there, um, when doctors use like the sculptures of bodies. So let's say you went, you're pregnant, and you see like a diagram or an actual figure, and it's like in nude color or yeah. a representative of white. I didn't think anything of it until <laughs> until someone came out with a black version, and I'm like, all oh, right true. That was kind of messed up. <laughs> <laughs> like wow okay so thinking about um when I do research for different types of books or whatever especially the book I did about Maya Angelou the story of Maya Angelou and just going and doing the research and how why her book was important or listening to stories of Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> when she saw um of her name right now but the Star Trek lady and she was like oh my gosh there's a black yes lady. And she's on TV. Yeah. And so I'm like, you you it's like it's in your subconscious that you're not there, but when you finally see someone there, like in that space, holding space, you're like, oh, so we can do it. And so that's the other thing, just showing that we can do it, we can be it. And yeah, just I don't know, inspiring, educating, and normalizing, probably <laughs> went on a tangent. <laughs>
0: no, I I all of that certainly resonates with me. Um I have a young nephew and uh my father kind of is in charge of his library and he's asked me like, what are some more books that I can have? And I've like, it's hard to get, just gain access to them. You certainly do have to be intentional about going online, ordering these books. You cannot just walk into a Barnes and Noble. You may find one or two popular books that obviously have some resources behind. They're there for very intentional purposes, Um, so it is a challenge to just have access to it, let alone to like produce this particular type of literature. How have you seen your son's, um, spark or like, how have you seen him change with him and his friends with you producing over 20 titles?
1: Girl. So one, he thinks he runs everything, but he's really excited for some reason. He's now seven. So I started when he was four. But for some reason, he thinks I'm famous, or he's like obsessed with fame, or whatever. So he's always like, "Are you famous? What are your best-selling books?" And I'll tell him. He's like, "Really?" So he like gets so excited for I guess the quote-unquote successes or fame that he thinks I have. Um, so when I come to his go to his schools for things, he's like always excited. He's always telling like the, his peers and the teachers that my mom writes books. Oh yeah, and she's a lawyer too. I'm like, oh yeah, by the way. But yeah, so. <laughs> He really likes it. Um, he likes riding my coattails. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he was a part of the inspiration.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. He inspired. 99% of the books that I have.
0: Does he know like right now as a seven year old, his connection to what happened in his personal life and how that sparked this whole new avenue for you?
1: I've told him, but I don't know if it's like resonated. So I think as he gets older, probably like an adult and have his own kids, he'll be like, dang, my mama was really writing these books.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Putting yeah. out
1: images so I could feel good about myself. So my friends could feel good about themselves. Like, dang, gets the go, you know? So I don't know if right now that's connecting, but I, I'm pretty sure in the future, it'll have aha moments.
0: <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll certainly come full circle. And then what I love now that, you know, we didn't have growing up is that, we now have archives and digital access to things, whereas before it's like, oh, it's gone because it was in the 80s <laughs> or 90s. We don't have that technology anymore. There's no more VHS tapes. Um, <laughs> you got to get it. Got to get it translated.
1: I think just being able to see yourself in the spaces, to see yourself being loved, to see yourself learning, to see yourself talking about everyday things um, shows them that they are worthy, shows them that they belong, um, shows them that they're beautiful. Um, So I do like to include different images, so color-wise. So I like to do different colors of the Black boys and girls and women and men. I like to do, uh, of course, the different hairstyles of the boys, girls, women, and men, um, just so they can see, like, this is beautiful because if it's in literature, it has to be right, right? You know, <laughs> like that's kind of like the idea that goes with it. Yeah. If it's in a book or if it's on TV, it has to be real. It has to be legit. It has to be appropriate. It has to be right. And that's why, and I don't want to get into that, but that's a significant reason why book bans are happening because we're saying, you're beautiful. You're okay. You're right. Black boy, black girl, like you are everything. You're bomb.com. And they're like, no, no. Don't you, don't you dare (laughs) inspire or increase the self-esteem of these people because then when you do, they're going to become a danger to us because they're going to realize all the wrongs. But anyway, so (laughs) I don't want to get there. But yeah, so just being able to put voices and faces and um, I think makes a big difference in shaping the child's self-esteem and identity.
0: When you said that you did this to create a legacy for you and your child, you're also doing it for your family, but also for many other families, and that you don't have to do this, but it's fun for you, and it's a passion area, and you see the importance. And not too many people act on their passions in that way that other people can benefit. So that's super, super commendable. Thanks, girl. Yeah, no problem. Of course, always love to uplift those, uplift others. Um, What other projects are you working on right now? All right.
1: So um, I've taken a break from producing books. (laughs) I went on break, I think in May of this year. So May 2023. Um, But then in the meantime, I did produce a book, but it's not a children's book. Instead, it is a journal for Black women who want to write a children's book. So Ooh. that's an interactive guide to creating picture book magic. And so what it is, is um, it goes through the steps of how to write a children's book from cure to development, plot development, having your climax, writing styles. Um, so it's a writing journal, but it's just uh, write a writer journal that helps you write <laughs> the children's okay. book. And people say, well, why you choose Black women? Why, like, why are you marrying it so? And I'm like, because, one, <laughs> I'm a Black woman. But two... <laughs> Again, the statistics about black women authors. Um, like, yeah, we're we have more representation, quote unquote representation than black male authors, but we still are not there. And I'm if I was a black man, I probably would focus on a black men first, but um, but I'm like, no, our voices are important, we have a point of view, we need to be heard, and I want to encourage other women who aspire to become children's books uh, book authors to go ahead and pursue that dream. Um, and so After hearing women time and time again say after they buy a book or come up to my book stand or booth or whatever, they'll say, oh, man, I want to write a children's book or I have a children's book drafted. I just don't know what to do. So now I have a journal for black women who want to write a children's book, very on the nose. And um, hopefully it will be the catalyst to help a lot of more black women pursue their passions or dreams of becoming a children's book author.
0: Very nice. I love that. So it's no longer a dream. We're taking that dream into action. Yeah. And you've done it a number of times. So you're a pro, you're an expert, you know all the steps to get that done. So if you're interested in making your idea a reality, certainly purchase um this journal. Where can folks find it?
1: So it is going to be published tomorrow, <laughs> which is October 24th. Okay. Um, And so on October 24th, you should be able to find it on Amazon and then it will start getting released to other sites. Or you can contact me on sugarcookiebooks.com. And I'm sure Dr. Rowe would put it in the caption, but sugarcookiebooks.com.
0: I will certainly link that so that folks can connect with you and they can start on their second or third careers (laughs) or passion areas. (laughs) Um, What other advice would you give to other aspiring authors who want to create literature that uplifts black children, um, black boys, black girls?
1: That you can do it. So you should just start it and go from there. Um, So, again, I think that goes hand in hand with the journal. So many people just either don't know where to start or they're afraid. And so a mantra that I've lived by is just do it scared. <laughs> a lot of it is just doing it scared. It doesn't get easier. Like I put out 20 titles, but I still get super nervous. Even with the release of this journal, I still get super nervous. Every time a release comes by, I'm like, what's going to happen? Everything doesn't, it's not a hit. I mean, it's 20 titles. You can expect uh, a slam dunk every time. So everything is not a hit. But the fact that I try, the fact that I put myself out there, at least at least that's the least I can do. And that's the least you can do. Put yourself out there and see what comes. I've had some great, quote unquote, successes, publishing books, writing and publishing books that I would not have had if I just said, oh, I'm so scared. Or if I leaned on Andrew Learns About Actors, which I did not release appropriately, if you will, um, as in I didn't market it. And so it just went out into the air. And so I could say, oh, well, that one went into the air. So I didn't do anything else. But no, just do it. Do it scared. And this is your time. You're not going to find any other time. We try to say, well, if I had more time. No, you can make time. (laughs) So um, stop with the excuses and let's do this thing.
0: (laughs) I like what you said. Do it scared. (laughs) I think that's some of the best advice. Do it scared anyway. Um, and you have titles for, and this is for folks who are not as familiar with the titles, you have career books, you have books about self-esteem, you have books about social emotional learning. So you literally could be parenting your child and then find a book that correlates to what they're going through in life, because this is where you got your inspiration from for your first title. So there's certainly something there for everyone, all ages, I would say. Um, particularly going back to your journal as well. thank you <laughs> <laughs> any um anything else that you wanna share with the listeners about you? um any advice um about raising a black boy, representation, normalizing images, the literature, the space is yours. Now I'm just really terrified,
1: so I'm doing it scared, but I'm just really terrified that, you know, my son is seven, he'll be eight um, at the end of this year. And for some reason I'm like, is it when he turns nine, when he turns 10, I'm just waiting for that pivotal moment where things become a big deal. Um, for lack of a better phrase. And so it's terrifying. And I'm just hoping that the work that I'm putting out, that my author peers are putting out are having an impact. I know we keep going up against the book bans and silencing. We're not getting tra- traditional contracts, for example, because they don't want our voices. They want our images, so mm. handler, but they don't want our voices. And so I'm just hoping that <clears throat> before long that times will change and he can just be a boy he can just enjoy boy things. he can play with what he wants to play with without the threat he can eat skittles and and walk down the street like i just want that for him and i'm um, hoping that my part i'm doing my part my daughter is two so i know she has her own battles but i guess right now because my son is so much older than her that's what on the top of my mind is his safety. He doesn't understand that right now. And I don't know how to have the talk. There are books out there called The Talk. But I don't know how to have yeah. it. I'm just like, dude, like you can't do what other people do all the time <laughs> because it's not gonna end well for you, uh, but it could not end well for you. So um, yeah, I think that's that's my last parting words. Didn't mean to get emotional here, but-
0: <laughs> oh, no, it's hoping. very
1: real. It's very real. Yeah. So, yeah. And so anyone who wants to write and have that passion behind it, I would do like to say that everybody doesn't have to be a, quote, unquote, social impact author. Um, you don't have to try to make a stand. But I just think with us being Black, automatically, if you're writing from your experiences or knowledge base, it's going to <laughs> be seen as that. It's going to be seen as a diverse book. I mean, you could think about Amanda Gorman and her book about hope it was a book about hope and they're like, uh-uh, mm-mm, let's ban it. And it's like, really, it's a book about hope. It features everybody of every type. Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> it is so benign. So, um, but yeah, I don't want people to take away from me. It's like, I have to uh, create books that are going to have change. Like, no, just you putting out your story will probably have a change because it's adding more representation. Most likely, as they've said, um, Black authors tend to have images of Black people versus white authors who have the privilege of having animals all throughout their books. So so it's just the way it's set set up. Okay, I think that was it.
0: Thank you so much. Until next time, keep celebrating the beauty of Black hair and empowering our youth. And this was a wonderful conversation. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your peers, with your colleagues. Um, Maybe if you want your child to listen to this episode so they understand the parenting perspective of that, you can also do that as well. So thanks for tuning in. Until next time.